Welcome to the podcast of Scott Street MB Church. We hope you find this message inspiring and encouraging in your walk as a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. So this is it. Um, I mean, summer isn't technically over until September 21st, but this coming week is the week that is is the week of new beginnings for us. School is starting, right? So parents, are you ready for this? The early morning rushes of lunches and getting everyone dressed and bringing the kids to school. I see some parents looking at each other and consulting right now. Are we ready? (laughs) Um, Kids, how are you feeling about this? Getting back into the classroom, are you excited to see your friends again every day or dreading re-entering the life of academia? I was talking with one young lady this morning who's starting grade nine and the nerves are there. Um, Here at church, we too are getting ready to begin. A whole new year of ministry is starting up. We've been busy meeting with volunteers and getting things in place for another action-packed year of seeing God at work in and through us. Um, We also have our new lead pastor starting this week, and I think we're all feeling the excitement and anticipation of seeing what God has in store for us as we continue to seek God together and follow him into this new phase of life as a church family. And next week we'll be talking more about welcoming our new lead pastor and his wife Sarah into our family. Yeah, there's so much to be thankful for and excited about as one season comes to an end and another one begins. But before we get ahead of ourselves, we have one more Sunday today in our current um, sermon series, Life Lessons from Ordinary Lives. Um, I have absolutely loved, or I, I do absolutely love, getting to know people and hearing their stories. So I've really enjoyed taking a look at the lives of these various people over the past few months. Today we're going to be looking at the life of one more person that we read about in Scripture a man named Zacchaeus. The story of Zacchaeus and the interaction that he had with Jesus is a story that always seems to catch my eye, and the life lessons that I've taken from it over the years have actually been many, and they've been varied. I've learned something different from this story every time I've stopped to look at this passage. There is so much that this interaction teaches us about who Jesus is and his heart for those who look for him. Um, Mr. Hebert read the story for us already this morning, and like so many people's stories in the Bible, it's not long, it's just ten verses. But there's so much that we can learn when we do a bit of work. Who was this Zacchaeus? So one of the first things that we learn about him is that he is the chief tax collector in Jericho. This is actually a pretty significant piece of information about Zacchaeus and the type of person that he was, and it also gives us a deeper understanding into some of the tension in this story, because a lot of that tension comes from the fact that Zacchaeus is a tax collector. Taxes, though, what's the big deal, right? Um, We might not love it, but in 21st century Canada, we know that we pay taxes on our income, the land we own, and on the things that we purchase so that our government will be able to provide things like health care, 
infrastructure, education, and social welfare. Sure, we might grumble about our government's ability or inability to use those hard-earned tax dollars that we give each year in a way that we deem to be effective, but at the end of the day, we know that the money we pay in taxes goes to help our country grow and maintain strength. Whether we admit it or not, we do benefit from the work of our government that is funded by the taxes that we pay. For me, this is the only system that I've ever known, and so it's a system that I very rarely even think about. It takes work for me to understand why Jews living during Jesus' time would hold the level of hatred that they did for the taxes that they paid and those who collected them. Some of you here grew up in a different time and in a different country, so it's quite possible that some of you get this without having to dig very deep But for the rest of us, it's important for us to do the work to understand the context of Israel during Jesus' time and understand that Israel was not a free nation. They couldn't proudly stand together and sing lyrics about their country, describing it as strong and free the way that we can. They had been conquered by the great Roman Empire and lived under Roman rule. They are a dominated and oppressed people, and part of what that means for their everyday lives is that they are heavily taxed by Rome, and these crazy high taxes that they had to pay didn't go into a system that would ultimately benefit them and their families through health care, education, and infrastructure. It went into a system that allowed their wealthy and indulgent oppressors to become even wealthier and more indulgent while they were left in abject poverty and struggling to care for and feed their own children. These oppressive taxes also went to pay for the Roman army and funded the soldiers that were stationed right there in their own towns and villages in order to maintain dominance and, and, and the power of Rome, ensuring that peace was kept and that any sign of insurrection would be stamped out before it could even begin. Two weeks ago, Paul took us through the story of of one of these Roman centurions who had heard about Jesus and came to him for help, recognizing the authority of Christ and not Caesar to save. And it was Jewish leaders who spoke up on behalf of this centurion. So we know that there were some exceptions to the norm, but for the most part, life for the Israelites under Roman rule was brutal and not something to be envied. What does this all have to do with Zacchaeus, though? So, like I said, a part of the oppressive Roman system that Israel was under um, involved the collection of these heavy taxes. And rather than Roman citizens coming in to collect taxes from the outlying towns and villages, Rome hired citizens from within those towns and villages to do this work for them. And you can imagine that these Jewish tax collectors were not very popular or well-liked by their fellow townspeople. In fact, they were hated and reviled for working for their Roman occupiers. In addition to collecting heavy and oppressive taxes that Rome demanded, which would be bad enough on its own, tax collectors were also known for demanding even more from the people and keeping the extra for themselves, allowing them to grow wealthier and wealthier on the backs of their impoverished people. 
tax collectors were not very popular or well-liked. They were ostracized and shunned from their community because they were traitors and willing participants in a system of oppression for God's chosen and set-apart people. Tax collectors are actually mentioned 26 times in the Gospels, and each of these times we see them lumped together with pagans and sinners and unsavory people. A common complaint or question that the Pharisees had for Jesus was, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? In Luke 7, verse 29, it's noted that all the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right. Even the tax collectors couldn't deny it. Interestingly enough, even though Jesus is known to spend time with tax collectors, in fact, Matthew, one of his disciples, had been a tax collector when Jesus saw him and called him to become a follower. Jesus does understand that the life of a tax collector is not right. He's not under some delusion that what they're doing is okay. When teaching about the importance of loving our enemies in Matthew 5, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of the Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Tax collectors and sinners. Even the tax collectors. Tax collectors. These are not good people. So Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector, and he's wealthy. He is not a person we would prop up as someone to aspire to be like. He's a traitor to his people and to his God. He's deceitful and steals from his own oppressed people. He's wealthy and living in stolen luxury, while his fellow Jews struggle in poverty. There's no way around it. Zacchaeus is not a good man. And yet for all of that, Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is coming through Jericho, and he wanted to see who Jesus was. And I absolutely love this. Zacchaeus knows that he's not a good man. There's no way that he could possibly be under the impression that somehow he was doing what was right in the eyes of God. He would have learned the Old Testament law, the Torah, along with all the other village boys from the time he was young. He knows that Caesar is not God and that there's one true living God, Yahweh, the God of his forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He knows that it's wrong to steal and that his God has called him to care for the poor and the needy, not take advantage of them. And yet he's been living in servitude to Caesar. He knows that all of Israel is waiting and longing and crying out for a Messiah, a Savior, to come and set them free from Roman rule, and yet he has chosen to support the oppression of his people. He has chosen to actively participate in and benefit from this evil system. 
Zacchaeus knows that he's not a good man, but he hears that Jesus is in town, and he wants to see who this Jesus is. What he's heard about Jesus sparks something inside of his cold heart. We aren't told what it is that makes Zacchaeus want to see who Jesus is, but maybe he's heard that Jesus isn't like the other religious leaders. Maybe he's heard that Jesus' wisdom and teaching is like nothing people have heard before. Maybe he's heard that Jesus welcomes sinners and tax collectors like him. And maybe this sparks a thought inside of him that says, maybe, just maybe, there is hope for him. That even though so many years ago he chose to go away from the God of his people, maybe that doesn't need to be the end of his story. Isn't one of the closest to Jesus also a former tax collector? Maybe what he's heard about this Jesus is true. Maybe, just maybe, there's hope for an old tax collector like Zacchaeus. And so he goes out. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. If you've grown up in the church, then you will know this story well. There's a well-known children's song about Zacchaeus that says, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. It's a cute song and a kind of cute story that I'm sure connects particularly well with all of those who are a bit at a bit of a height disadvantage. Um, here's this wee little man who wants to see Jesus and can't because he's too short, so he climbs up a tree to get a glimpse. Um, but I think that although his height might have been part of the barrier that holds him back from seeing Jesus... I think these details speak to a different reality as well, because there are countless other stories where similarly people are crowded around Jesus. That tends to be what happens when Jesus comes to town. But those who want to see him are able to make their way through the crowd to gain audience. If we look back just a few verses, if you've got your Bibles open, we see that a rich young ruler made his way to the front of the crowd in order to speak to Jesus. Not Zacchaeus, though. I mean, who's going to give up their chance at a glimpse of Jesus for a tax collector? He may be wealthy and have high status, but in this crowd, he's despised and hated. And even though Zacchaeus is drawn to Jesus and wants to get even just a glimpse, maybe there's a bit of fear inside of him as well. I mean, will Jesus actually look kindly on him? What if he uses his authority and status, the fear of the people, to make his way to the front just to have Jesus confirm the contempt that he knows this crowd has for him and that he knows that he actually deserves. No, better to run up ahead to that tree up there so he can figure out who this Jesus is from a safe distance without too many people seeing him. So up he goes, and we don't actually know, again, what is going on through Zacchaeus's head, but I imagine that as the crowd with Jesus at the center of it makes its way closer to him and he's tucked away there in the leafy branches of the sycamore tree, I imagine that his heart must have been beating a mile a minute. Who is this Jesus that he's heard so much about? And what if it's all true and there's hope for something different for him? 
When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up. Wait, what? This is it. Jesus, the one he had heard so much about, notices him up there in the branches. This is the moment he had both hoped for and dreaded, the moment of truth. Jesus looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. This is it. This is it. It's happening. So he came down out of the tree and welcomed Jesus gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay it back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. (laughs) Praise God. If this story doesn't strike hope in our hearts and make us shout amen, then I'm not sure what will. There is hope for each one of us, and every single person that we meet (laughs) has a chance to meet with Jesus. If Zacchaeus were here this morning, he would attest to the fact that there isn't a person in this world who's wandered so far from God that Jesus' love and mercy and grace can't reach them. It is the lost and the broken, the ones who have turned away, that Jesus is looking for. And that gives hope to us all, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3 tells us that there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. But praise God that he made a way, that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And Zacchaeus' life and transformation speaks to the work and power of God to change. Because if anyone is in Christ Jesus, the new creation has come, and the old has gone, and the new is here. When we accept the love and grace and sacrifice of Christ, then we turn from our old ways, and through the sacrifice of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, we are made new, living not in the ways of this world, but living for the kingdom of God. What a beautiful story and lesson for us to learn. The lessons that we can draw so far are actually many, So are you like Zacchaeus? Maybe you gave your life to God a long, long time ago, but maybe so much has happened since then. Maybe you've made choices that you knew weren't right, and you knew weren't what God wanted, and at this point you've walked so far away from God that you've given up all hope. You could never be worthy of his attention. If this is you then I hope that this story has ignited a spark of hope in your heart. Jesus didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick and the lost. And if that's you this morning, then please hear me when I say there's hope for you. If you will have the courage to come and see, to meet with Jesus, then you'll see that it's all true. God loves you and welcomes you. He welcomes you to come Accept his sacrifice, turn from your old ways, and follow him. Or maybe the lesson for some of us is that we need to figure out how to understand and share God's love 
the way that Jesus did, Jesus drew people and welcomed them rather than pushing them away. Something about his manner of speech gave hope to those who were the furthest away, and it compelled them to come and to give their lives to him. If we're honest with ourselves, we'll admit that this isn't how most people today view Christians. People typically aren't climbing trees to get a glimpse of us and try to hear the message that we give. How can we be the ambassadors of God's love that he calls us to be? Because I'm not sure that the world is seeing in us what they saw in Jesus. And that's not okay. As his followers, Jesus calls us to be part of bringing his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And he has entrusted us with this work. How do we love like Jesus loved? Both of these lines of takeaway questions are powerful. And as, but as I've been reading this passage over the past two weeks preparing for this sermon, there's a third lesson that God has brought to my mind. Because maybe of all the characters in this story, it's not Zacchaeus or Jesus who we're standing with. Maybe there's some here who are actually the ones who tried to box Zacchaeus out, who saw what was going on and began to mutter and grumble. This is a group of people that we see all throughout the Gospels. And although from the outside, this group actually often looks like the ones who get it and are living for God, they are convinced that they're right. They're actually the ones who missed the point altogether. And it's a lot harder for us to put ourselves in their place and learn the lessons that they had to learn because it takes a humility that doesn't come naturally to us. In fact, sadly, most of those grumblers who had front row seats to Jesus never actually learned the lesson that God had for them because they weren't able to humble themselves and come to that place where they could understand and hear Jesus clearly. I mean, we know that it's not our own good works that save us, but isn't it easy for us to feel even just a little bit that there's something that we did that made us good enough to catch Jesus' eye, something that made us worthy of his attention. Praise God that we're not like those sinners over there, wasting away their lives. But Jesus had a lesson for these people, for us, about exactly that. In Luke 18, we read that to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I grew up in the church, understanding that in Jesus' story, the Pharisees are the bad guys, So it's easy for me to read about them and view them as the other. 
But the older I get, the more I see that as someone who grew up Christian, someone who gave their life to Jesus at a very young age, it's so easy for me to fall into the mindset of the Pharisees. I know the rules and I know how to follow them. I have lived for God for far longer than I've lived against him. And although it's sad to admit, it's easy for me to take the miraculous beauty of God's grace and love for granted. I realize that it is something to be thankful for, but it's so easy to use that to judge others as less than or as unworthy. The Pharisees, for all of their stubbornness and hatred that we see when we read the Gospels, they really thought that they were living in obedience to God. They had good intentions, and they thought they were doing right. They were so convinced of this that when Jesus, God himself, came into the world to show us how to live our lives for them, for him. They couldn't actually see it. They were blind to it because it was different than what they had thought. Jesus showed them that they had been wrong, but rather than hear it and humble themselves, they thought they knew better and they turned away from him. At this point in my life, I've had enough of those moments. Times when I've been convinced that I knew who God is and what it meant to follow him, only to be shown that maybe I've actually missed it. Times when I've had to humble myself at the feet of Jesus and recognize that what I thought I had been doing for him wasn't actually what he had wanted at all. I think this might actually be a far harder lesson to learn than the others, not more important because all of the others are important as well, but harder because it requires a different sort of repentance and a cost that many aren't willing to pay. Zacchaeus knew that what Jesus was offering him that day was a pearl of great price, and he sold everything he had in order to get it. He knew that it was worth everything in his life, to follow Jesus, and he didn't look back. But just a few days earlier, Jesus had encountered a different wealthy man, not as despised as Zacchaeus. In fact, this wealthy man looked like he had it all together and was doing exactly what he was supposed to in order to live for God. If you put the two men side by side and had to choose which one you thought would end up on Team Jesus, odds were definitely not in Zacchaeus' favor. So if you turn to um, Luke 18. We'll be reading um, Luke 18, verses 18 to 27. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. 
Um, in the account of this story in the Gospel of Mark, it says that Jesus looked at this man and he loved him. And I find this story so heartbreaking. This man comes to Jesus. Jesus looks at him and he loves him. Jesus invites him to come and follow. This is the same invitation that Jesus had given to each one of his disciples. Come and follow me. And this man was almost there. He almost had it. But there was one thing that he lacked. And the price was just too high. He saw the pearl there before him, but couldn't pay the price to make it his own. Following the rules wasn't enough. He needed to give it up give all of it up, and follow Jesus. But he couldn't. We don't know what happened to this rich young ruler as he walked sadly away, but I feel like it's quite possible that he kept on living that good life he had been living, following the commandments in hopes that maybe, just maybe, he could earn eternal life for himself after all. And from the outside, I doubt anyone would have questioned his right to that eternal life that he was after. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, it's not about us earning our place in it. It's not about us trying our hardest to follow the rules. It's not about us making ourselves better than others. It's about giving all of that up in order to follow Jesus. God himself, who became nothing, became the servant of us all in order to conquer death and sin and brokenness once and for all through his death and resurrection. In order to follow Jesus, we have to humbly give it all up, living, loving the way that he loved, and daily giving our life over to him. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis that speaks to this. He says, The Christian way is different, both harder and easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time, so much of your money, and so much of your work. I want you. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. This is both harder and easier than what we are all trying to do. The terrible thing, the almost impossible thing, is to hand over your whole self all your wishes and precautions to Christ. But it's far easier than that, than what we are all trying to do instead. We're all trying to let our mind and our heart go their own way, centered on money or pleasure or ambition, hoping that in spite of this, to somehow behave honestly and chastely and humbly. And that's exactly what Christ warned us you could not do. If I'm a field that contains nothing but grass seed, I cannot produce wheat. Cutting the grass may keep it short, but I shall still produce grass and not wheat. If I want to produce wheat, the change must go deeper than the surface. I must be plowed up and re-sown. Brothers and sisters, what is the lesson that God has for you from this story of Zacchaeus? And I do think that there's a lesson here for each one of us. Wherever you're at in your journey as a Christ follower, whichever character you most connect with, Zacchaeus, Jesus, the crowds, where are you at in this time, in this place in your life? Please hear Jesus' invitation this morning. Come down out of that tree. Let Jesus come in. Hear his invitation to come and follow
Christ says, give me all. I want you. Bow with me in prayer. Yeah, Father, I thank you that you are the Lord and creator of all things. I know that I will never fully understand the greatness of who you are, that you always were, that you always will be. But God, you, you, the greatness and grandness of who you are doesn't stop you from wanting to be present and active in the lives of your creation. And so God, I thank you for that. I thank you that we have stories like this story of you interacting with a man named Zacchaeus that you lived and you entered into your creation to show us who you are and the extent of your love and mercy for us. God, I thank you that it's not about our own efforts, but it's about your love for us. And, And God, you know the hearts, you know my heart, you know the hearts of each one of my brothers and sisters here this morning, and you know exactly where we're at in understanding who you are and giving our whole selves to you. And God, I thank you that you aren't a God that comes in and demands and takes from us, but you actually invite us into this journey with you. And and God, for each one of us, you say, come, follow me. And so God, I pray that this morning we would hear that call, that, that, yeah, that we would have the ears to hear, the eyes to see. And we would say yes to it, that we would give every part of ourselves over to you. And God, we know that that's not a one-time decision. It's actually a daily choice that we make. Sometimes it's an hourly choice, a a choice that we make every minute to say yes, to follow you, to put aside our our old selves and, and take up the new. God, this morning, I pray that, that we would say yes to it in this moment, in this time, that we would say yes. And God, I thank you that just like Zacchaeus, who, yeah, was not a good man, God, you loved him. You loved him enough to say, come down out of that tree. I, I want to spend this evening at your house. And so, God, for each one of us, I pray that we would have the courage to take that step, to, to come closer, to see you and to hear your invitation to us. So God, I thank you. And God, I pray that that even now as we continue to worship you, that it would be pleasing to you and honoring to you. scottstreetchurch.ca